Welcome, or for our returning listeners, welcome back to the fourth quarter of 2021's edition of Think's Trends and Takeaways. I'm your Trends and Takeaways host, Jacob Torrey, head of Think's Labs. Trends and Takeaways is a show released in conjunction with Thinkscapes, a written quarterly review of information security research published in both industry and academic venues. Think's Labs allocates time to tracking industry research so you don't have to, specifically looking for novel and unusual work that's impactful. This is not simply a report on bugs or vulnerabilities. Work covered here will include both offensive and defensive topics, and we explore academic publications with the same gusto as industry work. Our target listeners are primarily security practitioners and organizations who are tasked with defending their turf, but offensive-minded folks will also be exposed to new ideas and research we've come across. If you're a returning listener, you'll note that this edition focuses on content presented or published during the end of quarter three and the beginning of quarter four, as opposed to providing a catch-up on a year's worth of material. Like the world at large, InfoSec conferences in this period were influenced by the local pandemic activity and restrictions for in-person events. Many in the summer to early Northern Hemisphere's autumn were open to some in-person programming, while others were canceled and stayed or moved to virtual as the Delta variant expanded. During the three- to four-month period leading up to this issue's publication, there was no lessening of events, almost 300 conferences, and thousands of talks and sessions. While an impressive number, in returning to a quarterly view, the trends indicators are smaller. In future issues, a year-in-review segment will provide an opportunity to reflect on the identified themes and reevaluate the items that may be signaling broader changes in the community. For this issue, however, Thinkscape's editors scour the 300 conferences and narrowed down the content to a short list from 21 events containing just over 600 talks. In listening to reader feedback from quarter three, Thinks is happy to provide an email option to receive a link to the new issue upon release. Interested readers can visit the Thinkscape's homepage at thinks.com ts to sign up, where you can also find the full written version. Despite a shorter period of time covered, there were still four themes that popped out to the Thinks team putting load on servers, new analysis and software repair research, the hybrid Active Directory and Azure Beast, and how networks can be bridged or separated. So without further ado, let's dive into the themes identified. Number one, making servers overwork for fun and profit. Papers and presentations in this theme highlighted both a resurgent into offensive research and asymmetric workload attacks, as well as new ways for servers to offer more security guarantees for their clients. From building on SSL-slash-TLS renegotiation denial of service attacks from a decade ago for more modern cipher suites to targeting new types of non-crypto services, these application or protocol-specific attacks show that there's ample surface to explore as more functionality moves to remote services. Finally, there is an example of a practical deployment of an operating on encrypted data, a step towards fully homomorphic encryption and the possibility of services operating without full access to sensitive and client data. Analyzing and fix? Lord Kelvin famously said, if you cannot measure it, you cannot improve it. Research in this theme highlights the improvements in tooling that allows for measurement and verification of security properties in critical applications. Starting with Ghidra to CPG showed a path towards at-scale static querying of program traits of binaries, whereas AI model mutator showed how to develop fuzzing harnesses targeting the frameworks underpinning AI and ML research. This theme ends with a cautionary note. The Trojan source work demonstrates how Unicode control sequences can be used to introduce vulnerabilities into code that looks correct even to a manual reviewer. The AD and Azure Beast. The quantity and quality of work in the specific area of Active Directory attacks and leveraging hybrid deployments of cloud and on-premise systems deserve a theme of their own. 
There were novel attacks and foundational research published this quarter on how the hybrid ecosystem can result in unexpected behaviors that attackers can make use of. Bridging Gaps and Making Gaps Research in this theme highlights the difficulties and opportunities of network segmentation between IT and OT and low security and high sensitivity. Work on practically scanning IPv6 address space reminds us that there are security considerations in moving to a flatter network where every device is world routable. This theme shows that there is a shift underway in the network space as components traditionally thought of as isolated are less so, and that some types of isolation may be more feasible than anticipated. And finally, nifty sundries. As always, there are some papers that do not fit precisely into any emergent theme for the issue, but still warrant inclusion. This quarter includes work on how a trusted location system could enable digital security, how DNS over HTTPS can still be subverted for censorship, and how Intel has been supporting emulation of ARM code on its processors, and what that means for the Android ecosystem. Now we get into the meat of this edition. For each published research we highlight in Thinkscapes, we summarize the work and conclude with some takeaways. The remainder of the show will be a sentence or two for the work and the takeaways. The full cited works list is in the show notes, as well as available in greater depth in the full Thinkscapes report. Again, the written report can be found at thinks.com ts. So let's start with asymmetric workload attacks and new encryption schemes that allow servers to process encrypted data. First, we have Shumilov et al.'s sponge examples. This research took a very different approach to the majority of adversarial AI research. Instead, these researchers looked at generating inputs to a neural network that would cause drastic increase in processing time or energy consumption. Looking at both natural language processing and image classification tasks, they could generate inputs that would slow down inference tasks or increase energy usage. Their results were a 30 times increase in power usage for NLP tasks and a 6,000 times slowdown for image classification. Astounding. With the rate of deployment and integration of ML components into complex and safety-relevant systems, it'll be interesting to see how a 6,000x latency increase can be handled gracefully, for example, in a self-driving car control system. Adversarial AI machine learning is a burgeoning topic, but one without a clear taxonomy of attack classes. As these novel types of attacks continue to be discovered, a more exhaustive model of the attack surface should solidify. Next, we have Pfeiffer's talk from Hacktivity, How to Use Cheated Cryptography to Overload a Server. This talk follows in the footsteps of SSL squeeze and other asymmetric cryptography attacks. The newly presented DHE Eater work presented shows how this class of attack is still valid today, almost 10 years later. He shows that even on fairly modern TLS 1.2 or SSH 2.0 servers, a few dozen requests per second with his open source tool can redline the server. For the last talk in this theme, we pivot slightly to research that shows how servers can purposely do more work to improve their client's security. Bestie is worked by Chen et al. and shows a practical scheme to do search and deletion of data that is fully encrypted, without the server needing the keys. All of this is implemented in an efficient enough manner that makes it practical for many applications. While not fully homomorphic encryption, or FHE, for many real-world applications, FHE is not needed and these more use-case-specific algorithms can allow for more private and secure software in today's distributed environments. As platform consumers and users, we should demand these types of techniques deployed to better protect us and our data. Moving on to analyze and fix, question mark. We start off this theme with SimGrade by Travis Goodspeed and EVM. Building on past work in the CTF and reverse engineering communities, this talk aimed to build a simple, API queryable database to allow disassemblers to recover common symbol names. SimGrate collects the common functions and methods from a variety of embedded system ecosystems and SDKs, 
provides the ability to find them based off the initial few instructions of a function's entry point. This work shows that as storage and compute become ever cheaper, it's increasingly feasible to start collecting fuzzy signatures for many large software ecosystems with variants between compilers, compiler versions, and even CPU architectures. With APIs like these expanding their coverage and analysis tools better able to homogenize between source and binaries, any protections offered by binary distribution of software will disappear. Next up, there's From Graph Queries to Vulnerabilities in Binary Code by Claudio et al. This research talk provided a snapshot into the progress of using Static Code Property Graph, or CPG, analysis on binary code. CPG analysis combines a control flow graph, data flow graph, and abstract syntax tree into a language-agnostic representation of a program. This graph can be queried at scale, for example, unchecked data flows to a database query function, or unsafe memory operations with arguments tainted from user input. Specifically to this work, the team used Ghidra's decompiler to recover the semantics lost during compilation. While there's still some information missing, the researchers were able to use existing vulnerability queries designed for source to find vulnerabilities in a binary image with minimal modification. Looking at the firmware image for a Wi-Fi router and its embedded web administration server, multiple remote code execution vulnerabilities were discovered. What this work shows is that the semantic gap between analysis of source and binaries is diminishing. Tooling designed for CI-CD pipelines can be retargeted at binaries. While the knowledge of vulnerabilities in the supply chain may not directly allow for mitigation, it should allow for better purchasing decision and drive improvements in the entire ecosystem. Additionally, signatures for vulnerabilities can be shared and searched for earlier in the software development lifecycle. At HitCon, Daniel J. Bernstein presented his work on fast-verified post-quantum software. This work looked at verifying compliance between a reference implementation and an optimized, architecturally targeted, or differently compiled output. The author notes a growing trend in the complexity of cryptography software, especially in support of post-quantum algorithms. In order to prevent inadvertently rolling your own crypto, his tool, called Safe Rewrite, is introduced to verify equality between a reference implementation and subsequent specific modifications. Safe Rewrite goes beyond semantic equivalence of the algorithm also taking into account any timing differences that could act as a side channel to leak sensitive key material. While initially focused on cryptographic algorithms, the model of using an agreed-upon reference implementation and verifying other derivative variants is a powerful model to reduce the prevalence of parser differentials. With a small upfront investment in tailoring these specific needs to the software, micro-verification tasks could be embedded into the CICD pipelines for a number of open-source projects, preventing accidental or malicious insertion of errors. Switching back to the offensive side, there's Feng et al.'s AI model mutator. This research looked at the attack surface of TensorFlow itself from the perspective of loading an untrusted model. Typically, machine learning developers and data scientists will use an existing model and refine or improve it to suit their specific needs. Using protocol-aware fuzzing techniques and extracting constraints from how neural nets are designed, the researchers discovered and reported multiple CVEs in the underlying C and C++ code of TensorFlow. Adversarial AI has primarily focused on models that can be subverted to provide incorrect responses to input, not on how a model can act as a stepping stone for more traditional memory corruption vulnerabilities. It's worthwhile to note that under all that Python code is C and C++ processing mostly untrusted inputs. As this work highlights, more thought is needed prior to loading a model found on the internet. Speaking of protecting C and C++ applications, Damas by Leban et al. aimed at identifying the largest subset of modern control flow integrity fences that can be safely applied without source access, and evaluated the performance impacts of a naive and implemented implementation. 
Damas removes indirect branches from running binaries in memory by identifying all indirect branches, calls, jumps, and returns, and building a dispatch table for each permissible target. While a naive approach implements significant performance overhead due to the large over-approximation needed, Damas explores runtime optimization by profiling the targets executed and rearranging the dispatch table if needed. Evaluating the optimization on CPU-bound programs showed between a 9 and 19% overhead introduction, whereas on primarily I.O.-bound programs, think server daemons, the overhead shrank to between negligible to at most 4%. While there are engineering limitations, Dama showed that the last excuse preventing deployment of more modern binary hardening, that either it's already deployed or source is not available, doesn't hold water anymore. Especially for I.O.-bound processes, a runtime mitigation that optimizes over time for the usage of the protected process means that even legacy applications can be protected. And finally, Trojan Source by Nicholas Bouchier and Ross Anderson ends this theme with a cautionary note. This research builds on past work of using differences between the machine-readable content and the human-visible render of Unicode to create a template of attacks where the source appears to be legitimate but actually compiles to or is interpreted maliciously. Using Unicode support for both right-to-left and left-to-right languages to change the ordering of tokens, this work can, as an example, move a return statement outside of a comment when the code is interpreted, allowing malicious commits to skip certain statements. As evidenced by the controversial University of Minnesota's Linux kernel research, even very high-profile open-source projects can miss non-obfuscated weaknesses introduced to the source tree. Throwing these types of tricks into the mix makes that much more difficult unless the CI-CD pipelines are augmented to check the semantics for compliance. Moving on to the Active Directory and Azure Beast, we start by looking at hybrid Active Directory through the lens of a defender with work by Muthia and Kana. Azure Active Directory is a significant part of modern enterprise identity management, yet malicious Azure applications have become a go-to vector for fishers to infiltrate Office 365 as they aren't detectable by most endpoint security products. Less well-known are techniques for attackers to achieve persistence inside of victim Azure organizations via these applications. Identity federation between Azure AD and external identity providers, and backdooring pass-through authentication. Each of these is quite different, but provides attackers with long-term persistent access with low probability of discovery. The authors walk through this and how an attacker can leverage these in malicious ways. In short, Azure layers on even more complexity on an already unmanageably complex Active Directory. The outsourcing of AD to the cloud promises operational simplicity, but it comes at the price of increased code complexity and therefore risk. Dirk-Jan Molema has a more offensive twist in his talk, breaking Azure AD joined endpoints in zero-trust environments. He starts by introducing the primary refresh token, or PRT, as a central resource for Azure AD authentication to provide SSO abilities to apps in the user session, and shows how cryptographic key material is stored within TPMs whenever possible. He then demonstrates a number of attacks that leverage the PRT. As an example, on a compromised host to sign into a site that uses the victim's Azure AD SSO, such as the company's Outlook service. In simple terms, if a victim is phished and attacker gains remote code execution in their user session, an attacker can access any SSO-enabled service open to the victim, even if the victim hasn't logged into that service recently through the use of the PRT. The attack does not even require administrator privileges. It's important to note that Azure AD's apparent simplicity belies new functionality that's still being pulled apart. This early work sheds light on the information flows that underpin Azure AD. As a result of this work, Microsoft has revamped its Azure AD and patched some of these attacks. 
While these specific risks may have been mitigated already, the broader point remains that AD is still a mighty complex beast. Merely outsourcing its management to Microsoft is no guarantee that all the angles are covered. We expect further attacks to emerge. For the final theme, bridging gaps and making gaps, we highlight four talks that revolve around how networks are designed and deployed. Starting with ICS SCADA, we have Gao Jian's work looking into Schneider's Modicon PAC security. Programmable Automation Controller, or PACs, are a step up in the industrial automation from Programmable Logic Controllers, PLCs, that they support more complex programming logic and provide additional monitoring capabilities. While PLCs have been the mainstay of the ICS SCADA world for controlling and automating processes, especially in safety or business-critical operational environments, PACs bring increased capabilities including web and FTP servers, enhanced programmability, and more common programming languages such as C and C++. Due to ICS's patchy security record, security is a core feature of PACs, including password authentication and signature validation of the software being loaded. In sum, this research showed that all the claims of additional protection paired with these more powerful controllers could be subverted. The deployment of a PAC should be carefully considered and treated more like an IoT device as opposed to a restricted OT component. It doesn't seem like a step in the right direction to be inviting process engineers and ICS architects to develop complex distributed automation in C and C++ versus constrained and verifiable ladder logic. This is from an industry with an already poor security record. Next, with an eye towards more classic network, there's Gao et al.'s new ways of IPv6 scanning, which looked at the premise of scanning large IPv6 address spaces. On the face of it, it's intractable due to the sheer size of the address space. By focusing primarily on 4 and 5G mobile network connected devices, the researchers highlighted five issues including ICMP responses that leak half the address, having access to a local network that can allow calculation of the WAN's IPv6 address, and a reduction in the search space by limiting the bits used in address generation. This work, coupled with an understanding of how certain ISPs assign prefixes, for example, telco, then region, then city, etc., allowed for a quick search of all Android devices connected to a certain provider in a specific city. Many of the identified risks are not considered vulnerabilities by the vendors, and thus will not be remediated at the device level. As to be expected, IPv6 requires dedicated thought to deploy and use securely. With the world on IPv4 NATed networks for so long, there's a mindset shift needed to migrate to an externally routable network posture. As a way to prevent lateral movement, Magnus at SecT presented a DIY cheap gigabit data diode. Data diodes allow for physical guarantee of network segregation. They are commonly found in government networks as a way to upload data to a classified network without risk of a leak from a more sensitive network to a less sensitive one. This research looked at repurposing a pair of optical media converters to create a gigabit speed diode for approximately 50 US dollars. While rarely seen outside of government spheres, by dropping the price of a diode from thousands of dollars to around $50, more networks can add this asymmetry to, for example, isolate backups from even the most deeply entrenched attackers. Moving our network view from the physical layer to the application layer, we go next to Anatha Krishnan et al.'s work on bridging your service mesh with AWS. This talk covered a very specific implementation at Square that allowed their service mesh, Istio, to operate seamlessly with AWS. In part, we have included it because we're a huge fan of Square's philosophy where security teams build infrastructure that's adopted by internal development teams. The talk also gives good insight into what modern, cloud-native networks look like, along with some of the new challenges they bring. Red teamers and offensive researchers would do well to immerse themselves in this new world. 
Last, we have a few talks and papers that don't fit into any specific theme, so we'll finish our show with some nifty sundries. First of the sundries is Galileo in GPS We Trust by Sazo et al. This talk starts by laying out some of the notable public attacks on the GPS system, then describes a higher security function in the European Galileo Location Service. While other global navigation services offer higher resolution and protection only to their military users via an encrypted stream, Galileo is unique in that it offers a public key authenticated signal for non-military users. The work goes on to explore the hypothetical features a strong, trusted location could provide. By tying digital communications to a known physical location, the location can be part of an MFA authentication handshake or provide greater confidence in self-driving vehicles. As the Internet of Things continues to take hold, combining autonomous sensors, vehicles, and devices, a high-confidence location can act as a root of trust in various communication protocols. That said, Galileo has had high-profile failures in the past, in which even the fail-safes were unable to compensate, providing incorrect location data to users. The response to this latest outage was to clarify that the system is still not ready for production use. Third parties may be reluctant to build on this security capability without a history of reliable support in the short term. Speaking of the short term, ransomware has been a hot topic in the news lately. The Fox IT team with NCC explored ransomware negotiation economics from over 700 ransomware negotiations between 2019 and 2021 with both qualitative and quantitative techniques. While there were no scandalous revelations here, it was super interesting to get an insight into the negotiation process that typically falls in attack. While it's heartening to know that ransomware teams also struggle to find the optimum price to capture consumer surplus, it's clear that with the current trajectory, ransomware as an enterprise remains profitable. Some interesting findings include that negotiations between ransomware crews and victims are more common than one would expect, with crews often settling for one-tenth of the original ransom to avoid collecting nothing. And paradoxically, cybercrime insurance might actually work against companies that are then seen as guaranteed paydays by crews that do their homework. Next up is work by SciScordall on the privacy of DNS over HTTPS. This research looked at the migration of DNS resolution from old-school UDP on port 53 to DNS over TLS, and finally to DNS over HTTPS, or DOH, on port 443. The team explored using machine learning classification to detect and optionally block DNS requests, triggering an automatic failback to clear text UDP requests. They showed that DOH requests are detectable with over 90% confidence, but when packets are randomized, padded, or normalized to look more like recent non-DOH HTTPS traffic, the same analysis was unable to correctly filter the requests from regular web traffic. It's always important as a system designer to note that while graceful degradation offers a pleasant user experience, security features should not be able to silently roll back when presented with malicious activity. And despite many objections to the contrary, metadata or statistics about data really can have a significant security impact. As the percentage of encrypted traffic grows, ISPs and large organizations will need to resort to increasingly statistical methods for monitoring and blocking bad traffic, providing a higher chance of denial of service or blocking of legitimate content. For the final talk featured in this episode, we have Brian Hong on demystifying Intel's Houdini. While Apple's Rosetta x86 to ARM Dynamic Binary Translator has been thrust into center stage with the release of the M1 ARM computers, Intel's ARM to x86 Houdini tool to support ARM Android applications on x86 hosts is less well known. This research reverse-engineered the Houdini libraries and explored the security implications of the hybrid ARM and x86 runtime environment. 
Most concerning is the shared memory space between the two environments and the lack of a functioning no-execute bit for the code pages in ARM. Malicious code in the ARM world could write x86 code to an unprotected page and jump to it, or corrupt the stack in the x86 environment. As seen in the exploration of WebAssembly, featured last quarter in Trends and Takeaways, it appears that industry standard protections for exploitation mitigation are elided when ported to a new execution environment. Extra concerning when considering that it is believed that Windows 11's support of Android applications is based on Houdini, thereby exposing the PC space to these classes of security vulnerabilities. In conclusion, despite the ebbs and flows of the pandemic and the associated travel restrictions limiting in-person conferences with hallway tracks, there is still a wealth of top-notch research happening in the community. Even over the period of a quarter, there were clear themes that emerged in the published works. Number one, clever techniques for putting servers to work. Number two, new tools for analysis and repair of software. Number three, AD and Azure revealing itself as a field of its own. And finally, four, novel network architectures. With the holidays and the emergence of yet another variant, there's a decline in conferences scheduled for quarter one of 2022. But hopefully researchers will return from a break refreshed and excited to tackle new challenges. We look forward to seeing what the community is working on in early 2022. This show is made possible by Thinks Canary. Know when it matters. To learn more, check out canary.tools. <laughs>